I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you and for you. That is why I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. Hi, this is Kate Catherall, co-founder and partner at The Arena. Today I'm joined by a good friend of mine and one of the best and most generous organizers and leaders I know. Dewana Thompson is a partner at Think Rubik's, and she is the creator of Woke Vote, a movement for equity and justice that is empowering communities of color to fight mass incarceration, voter suppression, and urban gun violence. In this episode, Dewana talks about how her community organizing experience shapes her work, her strategy for winning elections in 2018, and how to make movement building work more sustainable. I think you'll really enjoy getting to know Dewana, so stick around to hear her story. So Dewana, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Um, I want to talk about your work at WokeVote and Think Rubik's and um, spend the bulk of our time together focusing on that. But before we dig in to what you're up to now, I thought it would be great for our audience to have an opportunity to get to know you and your story. And so I would love if you could start just by telling us uh, the brief version of, of your life. So the birth to now, if you will. The birth to now. And considering that I, I'm 35 years old, I don't know if there's anything brief about that, but I, um, I'm really honored and excited to, to share with you guys today. And um, honestly, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm a Southern girl. I was born and raised in the South. I went to college at Berea Con- College, which is in Kentucky, um, in in the back of Kentucky, nobody, you would blink if you pass by the sign that says Berea. But what's so cool about where I went to school and also where I grew up is the shared history of civil rights and the struggle for um, equality and making sure that people um, got a good education. Berea was a school that was founded on abolitionist principles um, where black and white people went to school together before it was um, a thing, right? And uh, in fact, when um, it was challenged. They closed the school um, until they could do that again. And, you know, it just reminds me of all of the work that we that we do now around equality and trying to make sure that people have voices, getting to go to school in a space like that, that was a very open space that believed that everybody had a story um, and that we should learn about that. Our classes were built around telling stories. And I and I in coming from a place like Birmingham, my father is a pastor. Um, I people most people who know me know I'm a, a person of faith and I and I'm a big community person and I got my start working uh, 13 or 14 years ago uh, at the city of Birmingham. Um, I worked for the city council and in my role, literally the day after I graduated college, I, I went to go work for the city and my role was to do public programming and engagement for. The Birmingham City Council. So we have nine council offices, 99 neighborhoods, and 23 communities. And so I liaison between the Citizens Advisory Board and our council, which, as you can imagine, was just a very interesting place to be because I was a fresh, like 21, 22, learning about how municipal government works, but also really immersed in the way neighborhood programming and community activism worked. And a lot of times I was finding that 
there was a disconnect between what was happening at City Hall and like the realities of the the process of how things work and why it takes this long to get something built or get a, a park in a neighborhood. But I was also dealing with like the real sentiments on the ground and being at the neighborhood meetings, understanding that, you know, people were you know, begging for opportunities for their kids to have a safe place to, to, to play. And, you know, sometimes that, um, sense of urgency and passion wasn't always um, considered or taken into uh, taken into account um, when you're talking about it through the legislative lens. So it was a great opportunity for me to get my start sort of in the struggle of, of both of those spaces. And it just grew from there. You know, um, I, I've been very blessed to operate in places that allow me to maintain um, integrity, both on the ground. And I think, you know, with, you know, relationship to the leaders who do this work every day, the indigenous cultures and organizations that, you know, really are the heartbeat of our communities, but also still have a foot in um, the spaces that actually craft our our democracy and our and our agendas. And, you know, I can probably say with honesty that it's been um, the most beautiful, terrifying sort of experiment Um since I started, because some days I wake up believing that, you know, we have every single thing that we need um, and we can, you know, make a difference and change this world. And there are days that I wake up and I'm like, oh, my God, we need a lot. <laughs> um, and so um, I think what keeps me motivated and grounded um, to continue doing this work um, are the people um, and their resilience and how we um, stand up for each other when no one thinks we will or how we um, how we turn a corner that we didn't think we would turn. And so I got um, opportunities after opportunities to see that when I took opportunity to go, I was, I was actually recruited to go work on the first Obama campaign in 2008. And I got to do a couple of primary states and then I landed in Florida. And then subsequently a couple of years later, Kate, I was in, uh, Florida again um, as the African American vote director for the state there. Um, I had I've spent my time on the Hill um, doing legislation and policy work uh, on behalf of Southern states. I was from Alabama, so a lot of my work focused primarily on Alabama. I got my opportunity to work um, with at that time the Obama White House um, administration. I was a senior advisor for public engagement to the SBA where I specifically focused on opportunities and, and how we create platforms um, at the national allied level to be to be sure that minority businesses and marginalized communities had access to resources to start businesses, to, to grow businesses um, and maintain businesses, which likely support the communities that I started off serving all that time ago. And so just through that, got so many opportunities to meet national leaders, but also local leaders all across this this country and I've got an opportunity to do some international work um, working in Trinidad and Tobago and Ghana West Africa learning how to do engagement around um, presidential and prime minister elections where they don't have all the technology that we were able to have you know in our um, in our elections and finding out what it really means to have to stand in a line for 12 hours just to vote right um, and trying to marry that understanding and the fact that people still come out to do it with what what does it mean to only have one day to vote in Alabama where we don't have um, early votes so if you literally can't get off or 
something happens on election day, you don't have the access to, to vote the, the same way places like Florida who have, you know, early vote or North Carolina, you know, where you can vote early, they, they have more opportunities. And so I continue to, to stand in the middle of that struggle of knowing what's out there and understanding where, um, where we have opportunities in our democracy and where we have challenges and also standing in that space of, of knowing that the people on the ground always, always, always have some of the best um, strategies and um, knowing about how to change um, and disrupt their communities. And I, I feel blessed and honored to, to have spent so much of my time in that space. Um, I, got a little burnt out, if the truth be told, with some of the more traditional spaces and was sitting about two years ago and thought to myself, you know, I want to be able to, with the time that I have left on this planet, I really want to be able to speak truth to power as it relates to advocacy, primarily for marginalized communities. Obviously, as an African-American woman, um, as an African-American woman from the South, there are some particulars that pierce my heart as it relates to the to what's going on with my own community. But when I look at, you know, what's happening in the immigration space, when I look at what's happening in healthcare, when I look at what's happening to my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, like while I maintain that our struggles sometimes need to still communicate with each other so that we can have open and honest dialogues about what's going on, I maintain that as marginalized people, we've got a lot of places where our work can support each other. And so, I think, you know, it's just, I wanted to be able to do that in the most truthful way, in the way that allowed me to have the most integrity. I think, especially when you're from the ground and this is the work you do, your word is really all you have. And I've been able in a lot of ways to maintain my integrity with so many people, even with change in leadership, change in party, all of those kinds of things. People believe me. And they know that it's because I'm coming to them from a very true place. If I can't do something, I will let them know, but everything I can do, I will do. And I wanted to build a space that allowed me to continue to do that. And so I, along with two very dynamic people, Tristan Wilkerson and Ifeoma Sinache Ike, we started a firm called Think Rubix. And I'm really excited about it because we literally every day get to wake up and do um, the work that we feel like is so important. Um, and that work starts with thought equity. We named our firm Think Rubix um, because we specialize in strategy and problem solving, particularly um, on behalf of community of color as it relates to policy programming um, and politics. And so um, we, we realize that a lot of times people want to do good, but they don't start by doing well. And starting well means having a really good thought process about what you want to do and how it will impact those that you want to support. And so we, um, on the front end, we go in with clients who are running for office, who want to, you know, we go in with clients who want to create some sort of programming in, in a certain community, and we help them to think through how what they want to do is going to come across or how it's going to be built or how it's going to be received in particular communities. And that way we feel that um, our clients come out with a more um, a, a sense of um, really knowing the community that they're trying to serve, really understanding what needs to happen, um, being, you know, having more intentionality around the work. And so as a 
global social equity firm. We're really excited because we get to do that work all over the country and outside of the, the country. And, and, and it's just been exciting to, to see. And one of our major projects, which I think a lot of people are sort of just excited about right now, we, we created a program called WOPVOTE. I, I am from Alabama and last year we got an opportunity that I just, I didn't think I would see probably for another 20 years, which was to flip a Senate seat um, that had been held for years. And I mean, over 25 years um, by a Republican, by the name of Jeffrey Borgart Sessions. And um, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but we created a, a program that reached over 100,000 specific contacts, particularly in the African-American community, particularly within the spaces of millennials and people of faith. And we're able to turn out um, just an unprecedented amount of African-American voters over the sum of a, a little bit over um, 30, 31%. And so it had never been done in Alabama. We're really excited. And so this is the kind of work, Kate, that I get to do all the time. And I'm really, really excited about what's going to happen in all the states that we're playing in in 2018. Thank you for that. I want to talk a little bit more about your work on Doug Jones and also about Woke Vote. And I, I think this question informs that. So you and I met on President Obama's campaign back in 2012. We've worked three campaigns together since. Um, and one of the things that I think um, really positions you to be one of the most strategic leaders in the progressive movement and, and has been part of why you have been so incredibly successful in the work you've done in the last several years is that you really take an organizer's mindset and an organizer's lens to the work that you do. Um, and I think that comes through when you talk about, you know, really being intentional about the impact that you want to make in communities and then kind of backwards mapping from there about how you're going to do what you're going to do. Can you talk about how you take um, the experience that you have, you know, from the Obama campaign, from Cory Booker's campaign, Doug Jones, and apply it to your model at Woke Vote? Absolutely. I think there's a couple of things I would say. First, I would clear up that I did not um, work for the Doug Jones campaign. Everything that we did was independent of um, that campaign. However, um, even with um, our time on President Obama's campaign, Cory Booker's campaign, and I have been campaigning on on the ground for mayors and city councilors well before I got the opportunity to support um, President Obama's um, historic run. I think relationships matter. Like, I, there's just no other way to get around that. If you are trying to um, impress upon someone anything, um, but especially, you know, something as sacred as the vote and, and asking them to consider, you know, your candidate or consider even being a part of a, an election, you know, it's hard to do that without some real lens of relationship. And I think that one of the things I've all that I've always taught my organizers and one of the things that I remember specifically from Obama's campaign, President Obama's campaign, was that they told us, and Kate, you'll remember this, um, I remember this to my core in 2007, 2008, they said, listen, people will come in this office because they believe or want to believe that President that Obama can become president, but they're going to stay and work because of their relationship with you how you make them feel, how you involve them. Are you prepared for them when they come in the office, right? And for some reason, that just stuck with me in in, in the most um, sincere way. Like, 
I am responsible for this person's whole experience as it relates to whether they're volunteering, whether they're voting, whether they're going to be activated beyond the vote, you know, that literally how they, how they connect with me can me can make the difference. And, you know, I didn't have language for that prior to 2007, 2008. I, you know, like I said, I got my start in 2005, 2004, actually. And I just knew from my faith background and the way we engage people in our, in our church and in our community that, Hey, you know, if you show up in the community, you show up in the neighborhoods on the days that you're not trying to get something from somebody that more than likely when you want to talk to them about, you know, voting or doing something, helping out in the community, they're going to have just a, a better understanding of who you are and be more willing to listen to you as a person. And so, like I said, I didn't, I just, I found that to be a part of how I was as an, as a, as an organizer before I knew what the word organizer really meant. And then when I got on President Obama's campaign and they stated that, that, that soundbite basically like, listen, they come in for the president, but they, they're coming in for Obama, but they're staying for you. It, it's like the lights came on. And honestly, that light has never gone out. Like I, Everything that we do with Woke Vote, everything that I have ever done in any of the roles that I've had since 2008, it's with this idea that relationships matter, how I frame this space for a voter, how I frame this space and create this space for a volunteer, for an activist, for a mom, for a student, for a pastor, whomever it may be that I'm working with. That's probably the most important part of our of, of my program, um, because everything else is going to live and breathe through that. And so woke vote, um, it primarily became a space where people could see themselves again in a political process, and we created that space intentionally. We we had a lot of relationships, even though I moved back to Birmingham um, in June of last year, which was you know not very early, um, or it wasn't, um, uh, the election was in December and I moved back in June, right? So uh, we have maybe six months on the ground, but I have been in constant relationship um, in Alabama, even when I was working other places, I still sat on boards here um, in Birmingham. I, I'm still affiliated very closely with my church. I still got out and did activities when I was home um, with local communities. And so it wasn't like, oh, this girl came in from nowhere and was like, hey, we got this crazy opportunity to possibly do this. It was like, no, Dewana came home and she's like, we can do this. Right. And there's a difference. Um, and so I think that woke vote. Um, the reason why it's 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 tangible to people is because it's not people who are not from their communities doing the work. We do the work of identifying, supporting, educating, elevating the folk who are already on the ground every single day, who if Miss Sarah say we going to vote next Sunday, everybody's going to move because Miss Sarah's been in that neighborhood for years, right? And so it's making sure that the Miss Sarah's of the world have the resources that they need, have the commitment from others that they need to leverage um, their relational capacity in those communities. So that would be probably, you know, the, the biggest nugget around um how we created woke vote, but even just in how we do the work that we do, it's building um, real and sustainable relationships. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think um, what I appreciate the most about what you're talking about is sort of the distinction between mobilizing and organizing, right? That you're not just like dropping in or parachuting in and, 
giving people something to do or asking them to take an action. You're actually empowering people who live in communities to uh, take advantage of their own agency, um, which is a really big difference. So um, talk a little bit more about Woke Quote in 2018 and um, not just, you know, what is your mission, but what is your strategy? Where are you going to be playing and how can people get involved? Absolutely. So <laughs> I, I have to say that we, you know, when we created Woke Quote, um, you know, it was in response to particularly what was going on in Alabama at the time. And I tell people, I tell people that the strategy around woke vote, like how we're engaging, how we're organizing, this is, this is work that I've done in every single campaign I've ever been on. Like I, I didn't create something out of the sky. I think the difference is we were able to package it in a way that people could understand that it's an actual strategy, right? And we were given resources to put that strategy into um, scalable action. And that's, um, you know, and so Woke Vote then became this model. It has now become this model that people are like, oh, we could do this. And sometimes I get frustrated by that because I'm like, yo, people have been doing this, um, myself included, um, but we didn't have the resources or the platforms or the opportunities. And now, you know, um, we're able to sort of highlight that this work can be done um, in places like the South, right? In places like Alabama that everybody has written off progressively, um, in places like Mississippi that has the opportunity to put a progressive person in the Senate um, there this year, right? Um, in places like Georgia, where we just saw a historic opportunity um, for uh, Stacey Abrams. And if we do this, con continue to do this work, we might have our first African-American female governor, right? Like there in the South, there's just this whole um, reimagining that's happening and we're really glad to be a part of it. And so Woke Vote, um, one of the things we knew though, we knew we had something special and we knew that we could not let it die in, in December of 2017. Right. Um, and so we wrote into our plan specifically to be able to do a fellowship program in 2018, as well as a woke folk conference in 2018 that allowed us to come back to some of these same individuals who got involved in 2017, who had never gotten involved in this kind of space before and say, listen, now that we're not under the throes of like a really, 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 um, you know, uh, dynamic timeline and, you know, all of the things that we have to do, let's take some time to really, you know, teach you and share with you um, and, and learn from you some strategies that helps us to continue to win in our states, right? And so we, in February, we, we had our Woke Folk Conference. We and people were tickled because they were like, did y'all sleep between, you know, December and February? We're like, no, you, the whole point is woke, right? And so, <laughs> um, and, and, and and people are starting to understand, like, you you really don't sleep in this work, right? You you take good naps. And uh, and uh, so that being said, though, we, we came back and we did a conference in, in um, February that was very well attended. We organized. Um, and trained about 143 neighborhood leaders. Um, and the great thing about that is some of those leaders came from our surrounding um, states. So we had some leaders come in from Georgia, some coming from North Carolina, some coming from Florida and Mississippi, um, Tennessee and Kentucky, which are um, also places that we were going to be doing work this year either way, right? So we were really excited to be able to have an early connection with um, people who are from those states. And so um, we built our fellowship program then. Um, it's it's 
the fellowship is is kicking off actually on Monday. <laughs> really excited. It's their first day. Um, it's happening on Monday. And um, we are the we're in nine states and which we <laughs> we people were like, are y'all insane? You know, nine states at one time. And we're like, yes, because the work is that critical for 2018. Like we need to be sure that people have the resources and the, and the skill set to be able to do this. And so we are obviously in Alabama. We are in Georgia. We are in Florida. We are in Tennessee. We are in North Carolina. We are in Mississippi. We are in Indiana. We are in Maryland slash the D.C. area. And I lost track of the states that I just said, but I want to say... <laughs> Right. So um, Tennessee, if I didn't say Tennessee, but, you know, I think um, that just goes to show you that we, we're really connected and dedicated right now um, to to the geographic side. But we do realize that there are opportunities and spaces. Um, I don't know if I said Michigan and Wisconsin, but there there are spaces where we believe this kind of work is critical specifically for 2018. And, and we already had relationships in those places and they really wanted us to, to be able to, to bring um, the woke vote model there um, and, and, and impact some, some opportunities there. And so those are the, the spaces that we're playing in. And our process is very simple. I think um, it's, it's going, you know, um, and we typically work directly with leaders who are already on the ground there. So we've been very, very um, blessed and just uh, thoughtful um, to be able to work with leaders who are already in their states who either got involved somehow with Vote in 2017 or came to our training or found out about us some kind of way and we've been in partnership with them since we met right and so these are most of our state directors in these places are people from the state who have great relationships who are like yo we just need to do something different right and so we're really excited about that because when you start with leadership that's from the state and can have that like hometown and home state connection, it just creates a different dynamic, right? We're not having to talk about why we're basically trying to colonize or, you know, whatever it may be. We're we're coming in with people, we're supporting the people who live there. And we're saying, you know, let's reimagine what your state or your city can look like. Um, and so with that, um, we are, um, we have about um, a little bit over, 70 fellows <laughs> um that that are that are going into the field uh for for the for the for all of the summer and they're going to be learning everything from every aspect of campaigning and organizing that that we all know to be true they're going to not they're going to learn why it's more effective to knock a door than to just drop a lip piece right they're going to learn what earned media is they're going to learn what it means to to have three days to organize a neighborhood rally with with two names, right? Like <laughs> they're going to learn all of these things that quite frankly, um, a lot of times you don't get to learn until, until you have to do it. And so can you imagine a space where you've got these leaders who've gone through this training, who, who know how to do this work, who can then go right back into their spaces and impact um, the races that are happening um, for the general election in 2018. And we're going to be with them. We're going to help them scale their programs after the summer. And every place that, every state that we communicated that we were going to have fellowships, we're also going to be doing um, very aggressive on the ground programming with them during the uh, during the, the general election. So it's really exciting. 
um, strategy um, that we feel is, is going to make a difference and that really is already making a difference. Um, and we're really excited about it. Incredible. So just to recap, you are you have a fellowship program, you're building neighborhood teams, and you're partnering with organizations and grassroots groups locally in communities, all focused on turnout. Is that right? Turning out voters? All focused on all focused on turnout. Um, and most of our, all of our programming has a three, at least a three year um, mission and vision, um, because we one of the things that we know to be true about the way in which communities of color are engaged um, traditionally is that a lot of times there is no long term sustainable programming happening between cycles. Right. People come in lots of time late, at, you know, at the last minute with limited resources. And they're like, hey, we just need you to get out the vote. And quite frankly, we're just in a time in our community and, and I think in our country and not just in the black community or in the, in the people of color community. I think people are just over it. Right. They either want to see that you care about their spaces beyond just the cycle um, or, you know, they're taking their vote and their time and their attention somewhere else. And so we wanted to commit um, to being partners and having a long term vision and strategy that didn't just look at 2017 or 2018, but really thought all the way through 2021. Right. Like, what do we need to put together? What can we build together that can like, you know, not just fight our congressional and sort of our, our presidential battles in 2018 and 2020, but what's going to help you get that district attorney that you need, or what's going to help you get that city council person that's going to deliver better for your area, or who, how do we get more institutional leaders, you know, in our, in our space that understand, um, diversity um, in a real way or who understand what it means to to leverage resources in a different way for different communities. And so this this building of these groups and working with them is about how, you know, identifying new voices for leadership, identifying and creating new pipelines um, that allow um, for continued programming in these areas, and also brings in resources that just have not been brought into a lot of these spaces, particularly for these communities. And so, you know, we, we're excited about 2018, but we're really excited about 2019, right? The year that we get to really imagine with these people beyond an election cycle, um, what their strength can be um, at, for their own communities. I think that's so, so important and something that, um, you know, on the democratic side, on the progressive side of things, we have been guilty of just being very short-sighted over and over again. And this shows up in how resources get distributed, um, what kind of programs get funded, Etc. And I know that um, you know at Woke Vote, obviously you're building a larger movement. You're really building power. You're building infrastructure. This sounds like there is a vision here to sustain this over a really long time with sort of a larger mission in mind. Um, what has it been like raising money uh, for that effort? And do you find that folks are mostly focused on 2018, or are they excited when they hear that this is a longer term vision? Interesting question. Um... I will say this right now, you know, people are very interested in methods that work. <laughs> you know, I think everybody wants to win. And so there's a lot of interest in support, whether it's resource, you know, financial resource or in kind or there's a lot of interest around it. But what I'm finding is that I'm still and we as a team are still having to help people to imagine a little bit differently. Right. Especially the donor base. I think it's really hard. Um when you've been doing something a long time 
and you had faith in it, right? You, you, you had to believe that it could work, you know? Um, and so you've been putting your money behind that, your interest and your effort behind that. And when someone is telling you like, look, this is not going to work, you know, it takes a minute for people to turn the curve. Uh, what we're trying to explain to people is that we don't have a minute anymore. Either we're going to reimagine and do this right now. And we've given you, you know, some, you know, through Virginia and Alabama and now Georgia, you, there are spaces where you can clearly look to the fact that these strategies work, right? Um, and really, you know, a person like me who's been doing this work forever, I would say you've always had key opportunities to see where this work matters and how it and how it can be done. Um, and so, you know, it's not the, in my opinion, it's not um, the the wild goose chase or it's not the pie in the sky. Like maybe this could happen. Like, no, this is proven strategy. If you invest in these communities strategically um, early and listen to those communities about things that work in those spaces, you can have these kinds of outcomes um, all the time. And so um, I think, you know, what I will say is that Alabama allowed us to, um, and by us, I mean our firm and, you know, woke vote and, 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 individuals and organizations like ours who do this kind of work, it has given us access to platforms that we had not had previous to that. And, you know, our job, again, like they said, they come for whatever reason, but they stay for you. So my job, and I see myself as the chief organizer um, for everybody, is to, when I get in these spaces and I get the opportunity to make a passionate plea and I get the opportunity to say what needs to be said, I cannot be off. I have to express and make sure that every single person in that room who has the ability to fund our work and to um, lift our work up and put it on put it on a, next, a, a different platform, I have to make sure that they leave there with no doubt that this can be done, with no insecurity about where they're going to send their resources, right? And so um, that's the work that I'm doing. That's the work that a lot of individuals in the space are doing. And so I think, you know, to your to your question, there are more platforms that are now open to hear us and to consider our our programs. And there are definitely more people who are coming on board that have never come on board before. But I will tell you, we still have a lot of money to raise, right? Like this work that has to be done is basically breaking down and dismantling years of work that hasn't been done or years of resources that have not been sent, right? So if you're asking me, you know, people ask me like, well, what do you think it's going to cost? I'm like, what does change cost? Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> like it costs what it costs. Um, and so, and if we want to do it well and we want it to be sustainable, then we need to um, invest in that change to the level that we want it to be impactful. If you want to put in a million dollars, a million dollars in any business only goes so far, right? Like, it's a lot of money, though, for, you know, for organizations that have never had a million dollars there. That money is, 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 you know, it's life changing for their organization, for their community, for for everything that they're trying to do. But if there's not a plan to sustain them beyond an election cycle that allows that money to still um, to grow and to make sure that they can still hire people in the off seasons and train and do actions in the off seasons, that million dollars really becomes $20, right? Because all they've been able to do is suffice one particular moment in time. And we're trying to build long-term strategy, long-term um, programming, and long-term support for, for these groups on the ground. And so I have just been asking people to give to the level of the change that you want to see. If you want to take back 
this Congress in 2018, you need to give to that level. If you want to take back the White House in 2020, you need to give to that level. If you want to see um, real change happen with our census and with our redistricting programs and all of that in 2021, like you need to give to that level. And that's both on the financial side and on services and on platform and, and using your voice. A lot of people have, you know, you know, there are celebrities out there, whoever it is, give to the level of the change that you want to see. And, you know, I think our firm mimicked this. When we first started doing this work, we didn't have any resources from anybody. And my teammates who are not <laughs> from Alabama, when I told them I wanted to do this and I wanted to have this program called Woke Vona, and I knew it was going to cost money. And, and I know that maybe nobody believes that we can win in Alabama. They said, to their credit, they said, we believe you. So if we need to put some money on the ground, you know, we're going to do that. So we put our money where our mouth is and we put we put up the first several thousand dollars that it took to get get things rolling here. And so I think, you know, I'm not asking anybody to do and a lot of these organizations and leaders like myself, we're not asking anybody to do anything that we have not done for our communities for years. A lot of these indigenous groups on the ground have been self-funding their programs for years without any resources because they knew it was the right thing to do. And so, you know, we're going to continue to do our part, but we need people to fund these strategies, these organizations, these leaders to the level of the change that they want to see. Great. And if people want who are listening want to contribute to Woke Vote, how can they donate? Absolutely. So you can join us, um, first of all, on our site, wokevote.us, and that's W-O-K-E-V-O-T-E dot U-S. Um, and there's a link there to, to, to give. We also have a partner organization called New Nation Rising, and you can go to new N-N-R PAC.org. And it's a pack and you can give through that as well. Terrific. Um, I want to switch gears really briefly because we only have a few minutes left. Um, but it, as we're talking about sort of the long-term sustainability of the work that you're doing, um, which again, I think is so critical and important. Um, one thing that comes up a lot when I'm talking to organizers, campaign managers, uh, people who have been doing this work for years or decades um, is just how we take care of ourselves. When at, you know, at the very beginning of this podcast, you were talking about how it's kind of a roller coaster emotionally, right, to do this work, and you don't really sleep. You take high quality naps. Talk about you know how you think about self care and how organizers can take care of themselves so they can continue to do this work for a very long time. Yeah, you know, um, I think about this all the time, and I think it also a couple of things. Um, I, I want to address this from like the manager side of it and then from the personal side of it. As a manager of organizers and just an organizer myself, what I realize is that I have to build that into the structure um, of our program, and, you know, because I think that the nature of organizers, the nature of our work is to feel as though if we're not doing something at all times, you know, um, if we're not if we're not moving at 100% um, at all moments, then we're somehow not um, doing the work. And I think that that's a false narrative. I think that in order to be able to do the work, sometimes you have to build in an hour to go get your meals done, right? Or maybe you need an hour, you know, to go and just have a real meal that's not McDonald's or whatever it may be. Um, and so um, I think that what we've 
attempted to do is to encourage our team to take, you know, those self-care hours, you know, um, it's okay if you need to be gone for an hour, the, you know, if you're doing the work in a way that is responsible, if you, if you planned out your day, we all know about organizing models and all of those kinds of things, there is time to take care of yourself. We just have to prioritize that in a way and know when to take that hour, right? You don't take that hour when you're supposed to be <laughs> on a conference call with the state, right? Like you, you don't, that's not the hour that you go get your nails done, right? But maybe, right. <laughs> you know, you don't take that hour during the middle of call time, right? Um, but hey, you know, if there's somewhere that you can go at like 11 o'clock and get your nails done and have that hour once a week, I, I wholeheartedly um, support that for our team. Um, for myself, um, there's a couple of things like I, I'm still working on this. And I think that's important to know. I, didn't, I do not get this right. I, there are months that I just go like from can to can't. And then I look up and I'm like, I don't want to talk to nobody for three days. <laughs> and so that's, yeah. that's not, so, you know, that happens, but in a more sustainable way, I think there are a couple of things that I do. I, um, and I want everybody to take this with uh, caution, but I, there are a couple of things. Music is, music helps to create, in my imagination, um, vacation, right? Like I can be working and listening to music. And for some reason, I feel like I'm in a whole nother, another place. And so I invested in really great headphones um, that allow me to have my good music going so that I, I'm comfortable and I'm, com you know, comfortable while I'm doing my work. Um, but I also love to go to concerts um, and things like that. So I will take every now and then the opportunity to go to um, a concert and just have an experience, something that reminds me that I'm connected to humanity. When you're at concerts, you know, everybody's there, everybody's grooving, everybody's so excited, you know, the music's going and you get to, to, to feel alive, right? You don't, it doesn't feel mundane and like, you know, oh, I've got to just get this report out. And so I go to concerts when I can, you know, once a quarter or once every six months or something like that. And I try my best to, as a person of faith, I still go to church pretty often um, because that's an outlet for me. And I think that, you know, people have their own outlet of sort of spirituality, whether they believe in, uh, you know, in God or, or whether or not they believe in universe or whatever they believe. If you're a person who believes in, you know, in the healing power of yoga, you should take that hour to, to do yoga, right? If you're the per a person who thinks that like, hey, this Mortal Kombat video game is really going to help me see my highest spiritual potential, <laughs> you know, play that Mortal Kombat game for an hour. But I definitely take an hour or two to go um, and worship um, as much as I can, um, at least once or twice a month for church. So those are the things that I do. Um, and my nephews and niece, they send me videos that keep me alive. So I'm excited about those things. Um, and that's how I, I find um, the spare moments that I need to keep going. Thank you for sharing that. I know it might seem like a question that's a little bit um, different from the rest of our conversation, but I really feel like uh, it's as a, as a work culture in the progressive movement, it's something that that's people really struggle with. Um, and I think, you know, on a daily basis, I'm having conversations with folks who um, are, are really just like failing to take care of themselves because they're so committed to the work and they put the work first. Um, but uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. No, I, I would just say, like, if we're out here, you know, really fighting for healthcare, we're fighting for people's rights to, to, to live and to, to exist and to matter, 
you know, your life has to matter as well. And I think that when we see burnout, a bit, a, most of that is because we haven't done the things that, that remind us that our own lives matter in this process. And so I, you know, it's people laugh at me all the time, but even just getting a chance to cook in my own kitchen sometimes or cook in somebody else's kitchen makes me so happy, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. the little things that you can do just to remind yourself that, you know, your life matters. And, and, and the fact that I still know how to make one of the best baked spaghettis that anybody's going to ever taste. Like I own that. You know? <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I will sometimes make that for my staff and bring it in and have dinner in the office. Right. Like we, we can do those things to remind ourselves that we're still connected to, to the things that we're fighting for and that we have lives that are worth fighting for as well. So glad that you asked that question. I think it's important. Thank you, Duana. Um, I have one last question for you because um, we have just a few minutes left, uh, but I think it's an important question and it's uh, how I'm hoping to end uh, most of these conversations. Um, this has been a, a great conversation full of optimism, I think, just because of all the incredible work that we're learning about that you're doing all across the country. Um, but the question that I wanted to ask was when things get hard and you wake up on a day where it feels like everything's going wrong and you're reading the news and it's kind of all this horrifying stuff. Um, what gives you hope and joy and keeps you motivated? That's a good question. Um, different things on different days, I will definitely say. Um, but I, I do think it starts with having something within myself that I can go to, right? Like um, I think it's somewhat dangerous to try to figure out or hope that there'll always be that outward thing that you can look to, right? That, that brings you hope. I think you have to sort of build that light um, that you can find within yourself. And I really do work on, you know, I read, I love poetry. There are things that I, I try to keep in my own spirit and in my own person that I can revert back to if I can't find anything, you know, outside of myself and, you know, the other, you know, so outside of that, which I think is very, very important to keep your personal light, some shielded in some kind of way and have that. Um, I just, I, I try to keep stories of things that motivated me um, that I just couldn't imagine, you know, or, you know, um, I remember uh, <laughs> when we were on the 2012 uh, race in Florida, there is a gentleman there um, in Gainesville, and I won't say his name, but he um, he was this vibrant, just like all outgoing family man, like community man. Everybody knows him. Even right now, if you go to Gainesville and say his name, everybody knows him. Well, he went from being this like really, really, really vibrant guy to um, being... Um, diagnosed with a condition basically that that made him tired like he can't exude a lot of energy over an amount of time like it just wipes him out right and I was like man that is insane and when I met him I, I met him in his home I got to his home and I'm kidding I'm not kidding you in his bedroom he has about four computers set up right he blogs he organizes um uh 
he organizes churches all over the state of Florida to get active. He organizes phone banks. He organizes canvases. He he organizes parades, everything from his bed. Like he gets more work done from those four computers in his bedroom than I, than I think some people get done in like weeks from an office. Right. And he's, he's so happy and he, he's making a difference. Like he hasn't missed a beat and, but he can't physically get up very much. Right. And I think about him a lot when I think about what's going on in this world. Like he is out there right now blogging about what's happening in our country and, you know, organizing folks in, in, in Florida around rights restoration and all of that. And he's doing it from his bed because that's the only place he can do it. And we get the opportunity to sort of be his legs and his feet and his hands and his eyes outside of his bedroom. And I'm doing this work for him, right? Like I get to go and show up and be at these places. And then I will, you know, I've met him in 2012 and I have can stay connected with him and his family. And we talk all the time and he's like, Dewana, what are we going to do about what's happening in California? Or what are we going to do about what's, I mean, he's so motivated and he is one of my greatest motivations. Like the fact that he, he can't do some of these things that we can do, but his impact is so great. And and he's found a way to still show up for people and show up for the things that he cares about. And so I think you have to find your own story, your own um, person. Um, some, for some people, it used to be old videos of Barack Obama speeches, right? Um, I remember people would do that. And some people, it's Muhammad Ali speeches. And some people, it's speeches from the Women's March. And for some people, it's, you know, kids that they meet when they go and knock on doors who are happy to see them. Um, whatever it is that you that you find and you connect with in a real way, you know, you have to hold on to those things. And sometimes it's just a silly YouTube video um, of a baby that, we all loved in 2012 who was reminding himself <laughs> that he could ride a bike. Like, and that, <laughs> I remember that you remember very like, well. It got us <laughs> and that little, I don't know, yeah. probably like 18 now or 17, but you know, he, he was happy of himself because he <laughs> ride that bike. And I, I am grateful that he was happy of himself because it got us through a mini day in 2012. So those are the things that you hold on to. For sure. Well, Dewana, thank you so much for making the time to have this conversation today. And thank you for your leadership and all the incredible work that you're doing across the country. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Dewana's work or getting involved, you can visit wokevote.us or New Nation Rising at nnrpac.org. Um, we are just so thrilled about the work that you're doing and want to support it in any way we can. So thank you again. And thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too, Dewana. 